Mix of Music on WMNF Tampa. The opinions presented on the Healthy Steps show are the evidence-based opinions of Dr. Fred Harvey, the callers, and his guests. These are not the opinions of the staff, the volunteers, or the board of WMNF. The information provided on the show is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease. There is no implied patient-physician relationship in these calls. The nature of the calls is educational and informational only. Good morning and best wishes to you, my wayward friend out there in the hinterlands, and welcome to the Healthy Steps radio show here on WMNF Tampa, the only radio station that Porgy Tire Biter streams, and you can stream us as well at WMNF.org. Well, bless my soul, it is Ask Me Anything Monday, and the true measure of this show is your participation, my cherished friends. Don't wrap yourself in a cold cloak of shyness. Don't dawdle. Don't shortchange yourself of the opportunity to call in to the Healthy Steps radio show. This show depends on your questions, comments, and concerns. And Irene came in this morning expecting, nearly hoping, to take your call. Just give us a jingle at 813-239-9663, or you can send an email to dj at wmnf.org. You can also text us at 813-433-0885. Okay, Dr. Harvey, ask me anything Monday can't get here fast enough for my liking, and I know that you have another spectacular show prepped for us today, so I can see it's about time for me to make like a Catholic and pull out. Let me turn this show over to your capable hands. What's ahead for us today in the show? Thank you, Bill, and happy Monday to everyone. Thank you. Well, we're coming. Yes, definitely. Um, it's a chill one. I'm really enjoying it. Having uh, uh, translocated oh, 30 years ago or so from Pennsylvania, I still enjoy a chill day. So... Yeah, I'm gonna get a little provocative today because there's a subject that that has come up that they've been talking about for a couple of years now, and it's regarding heart transplant. Um, yeah, heart transplant. Uh, what what is it? What what's it about? So there are people that have a um, significant decrease in the ability of their heart to pump you know it's, it's you know major physical function is the pumping action of blood through the body and when the muscle gets damaged uh, by a variety of things most often circulation cardiovascular disease is principal cause but there are other things like certain chemicals and and uh other injuries and and chemotherapies uh, like uh, adriamycin, doxorubicin, these things cause uh, a heart muscle damage over time. And so once the organ has basically failed to the point where there's no more medication, no more things to do to keep the the ticker pumping, uh, heart transplant has been used for many years now. And so that means that you take the heart from a cadaver and put it into the uh, body of a living person. Now, that sounds a little macabre, I guess, but in, in reality, the cadaver is not really a, a, a fully dead person embalmed or whatever in a, in, a, in a casket, but it's someone who's had a severe brain injury and is considered brain dead. 
and then they are kept alive on uh, artificial respiration and circulation and things that keep everything going to keep the organs that are in the body alive so they can be harvest, harvested. That is um, uh, uh, donation of organs. Um, uh, many people have signed on to this and it's on their driver's license so that if they are in a severe uh, uh, catastrophic injury situation and they are declared brain dead, the organs can be harvested and given to other people. But there's a new thing going on because um, there's only about 8,000 hearts available and resources available to transplant every year. They've they've decided that there are people that might still have brain function but will never live. And those people are actually considered now possible harvest targets. This is occurring in Australia and the UK. At this point... The laws in America actually do not <clears throat> really allow this way of thinking about death. It's very well defined, and you have to have the dead donor rule applied. In other words, they are, um, uh, they've got to have brain death. But um, there is a new thing called normothermic regional perfusion, um, where they actually allow the body to come to death, but then they really keep the heart going um, in order to... Um, just keep the heart alive. They wonder, though, if the circulation might actually reperfuse the brain and cause the brain to be alive. So it's this quasi-death area that they're allowing to be considered for more uh, harvesting of organs. A um, couple of things I have about this is, one, they, they really haven't been declared dead, and there are people that come back from severe states, but not usually. So there, there's just a, a question of ethics there. But on the other end of it, is the, the way we as a society deal with death. And we have a very delusional, unrealistic approach to death, I believe. Um, and in that we try to deny it all the time. You know, it's the inevitable. There's only one way out, guys. And so when, when is that going to be appropriate? Well, if, if your heart fails, that may be the time. If we have a better personal relationship with death and understand what it means... In a, in a broader perspective, we might be actually more comfortable with making that transition. Think about it. There's 8 billion people on the planet, and they can save 8,000 people a year with heart transplants. Another question that arises when we think about that is the average cost of a heart transplant is about $1.5 million. So if we're going to save 10,000 people a year with heart transplant, that means we're looking at something in the vicinity of $140 billion just in the transplant for saving 10,000 people. I really don't think that that um, I'm the person to make a decision uh, about whether or not someone gets it, but just consider that $140 billion to keep people at end life alive, uh, how could that money be repurposed if people actually accept that they might be at a point where transition is possible and they can leave the planet. No one's going to live forever. And though no one wants to leave today, or at least most don't, I think there's a few people that would love to get out. Um, we see a lot of that happening these days, but you know, we have an aging population how long can we live and how much cost can we put into it? There's another aspect of this, and that is just ICU stay for people who are at end life 
and we actually have predictive calculations that we can tell whether somebody's going to actually ever make it out of the ICU or make it out of the nursing home at the end of the ICU. And so the question then comes, when do we cut off services, taxpayer-funded services, for the ICU? It's a hard question. And I'm being provocative today because I think it's something we all need to consider. How many dollars do we need to spend at end life when we could be actually distributing this money to actually prevent some of the devastating illnesses? You know, Medicare could pay for chelation therapy that actually reduces uh, all cause death, <clears throat> um, bypass surgery, heart attacks in a diabetes patient who's had a heart attack for five years after getting a year's worth of chelation therapy. Costs about $10,000. And that's about what it would probably cost you to take statins for that amount of time and still get less value out of it. There's a lot we need to think about here when it comes to the way we look at end life, the way we look at death, and the way we cling to a life that may be actually pretty uncomfortable. And I think that this topic deserves a lot more discussion than it gets anywhere, especially in the public airwaves in the news, because the news is going to glom on to this new heart transplant method. We can save more people, but at what total cost? Um, the, the fact that these people are still sort of alive when the organs are harvested reminds me of Monty Python's Meaning of Life movie when they can't come for the guy's liver. If you haven't seen it, watch it. It's an absolutely hilarious movie. But uh, this is an uh, interactive radio show, and I need to remind people that this is the Healthy Step Show. Absolutely, and let's go a little bit further with that. Make Gary wait just a few more seconds. He's always the patient guy. You are listening to the Healthy Steps Radio Show with Dr. Fred Harvey here on WMNF Tampa, and you are encouraged to participate by calling 813-239-9663. Irene's in there. I see her smiling. So give her a call. Let her send you through. Or you can send an email to dj at wmnf.org. Good morning, Gary. I have good morning, you guys. Um, first, I want to say yes to your patience. I think you live a little bit longer. But I want to say is that, um, um, you know, on the general um, psych is that the way... Um, she drink about six eight glasses of water a day. Well, I was wondering if milk and coffee and tea qualify for water. Is it well? Actually, what 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 do you think, Gary? Are they water or are they different from water? Well, you know what? They're different, but they're liquid. It's my this for my. I'm asking you because um, so. Yeah, I know. Um, they are they are liquid, and so that's the the issue that people get a little confused about. If you drink coffee or tea, you're drinking a liquid that has a diuretic in it. A diuretic is basically a water pill, and so you're going to pee out a bunch of the liquid that you drank if you drank coffee or tea. And then when you drink milk, you're drinking protein and sugar and fat, and so you're actually getting a little liquid meal there. And it does have liquid in it, and it does contribute to your overall volume of fluid intake. But um, really, the um, um, seemingly 
sweet spot for ingestion of water and water alone, not liquids, is about a half ounce per pound of body weight per day. And that may not work for somebody who has kidney failure or heart failure because fluid overload is one of the problems that they have to deal with. So they have to actually control their fluid intake. But for most people, that's a pretty good rule of thumb. And if you're uh, outside in hot weather and exercising, you probably want to increase that by a pint or a liter, depending on how much time you're out and how much sweating you're doing. So I always say that uh, you tell me that Drinking plain water is best, and uh, I should not rely on milk and coffee and tea. To That's correct. Purpose. That is totally correct. Yeah, those, those are fine to add to the half ounce per pound per body weight daily of water intake, but they're adding to it. They are not a substitute for it. Okay, thanks, Zach. You're welcome, Gary. Have a great day. Thanks for the call. All righty. It's pretty quiet here. So I'll turn the show back on over to you. Very good. So it uh, looks like we have, um, um, well, some th interesting things coming up um, in the uh, next couple of weeks. Um, we're going to have some holidays and there's going to be a skeleton staff here at WMNF on uh, Christmas Day and New Year's Day. Um, the uh, New Year's Day or Christmas Day um, is going to be uh, actually a special. My show is going to be replaced with a wonderful local staging of It's a Wonderful Life. And so it's a radio play. Um, and what it's a wonderful life is a great movie. Um, and it is, uh, one that is just so heartwarming for the holidays and really reflects kind of what's going on today in our world. And, um, I think it'll be wonderful to listen to that on Christmas day and, uh, New Year's day. We will be doing a, uh, a very special program here. I'll be recording it with a couple of friends today. We're going to talk about um, how we can look at the whole being and talk about a energy-related body, mind, and spirit reboot for the new year. So we can actually go into the new year with some new ideas, some fresh perspective on what we can do um, to keep ourselves healthy and to actually promote better health, even when we have some disability or illness that would hold us back from uh, really experiencing a vibrant life. And I have some, uh, uh, another show that I was going to record for um, next week. We'll be, we'll be working on that for a different format since I probably won't do it recorded. I'll want a little bit of interaction, um, but we're gonna be talking about some uh, new approaches um, or some old approaches and some new thoughts on how to deal with detoxification and um, really help to clean up the body, mind, and spirit again to get things rolling in a very positive direction, increasing energy, decreasing fatigue, helping to lose weight, helping to improve mood, and helping to dodge some bullets from some chronic illnesses like diabetes, and heart disease. All sounds like a good program for a post-New Year's resolution kind of show. 
And I'm going to take this little void and tell people that you are listening to the Healthy Steps Radio Show with Dr. Fred Harvey here on WMNF Tampa. And you're encouraged to participate. Just give us a call at 813-239-9663 or send an email to dj at wmnf.org. And you can text us at 813-433-0885. And I do have Charles uh, in the wing and somebody calling. Good morning, Charles. Hello? Hello there. Uh, Good morning. Uh, Last week you uh, gave an intriguing commentary on the anti-Candida diet. But when I got into the notes, I said, gee, you know, I called a couple of uh, librarians and everything to check... uh, because I don't have access to a computer right now. And, okay, uh, the, the situation is I have uh, what's been called chronic COPD and uh, what is it, chronic interstitial <clears throat> lung disease. But um, I'll tell you, every day when I get up, I get a tongue blade, metal tongue blade, and I scrape the back of my tongue, and I'm telling you that stuff just won't stop coming. Now, I've probably had that most of my life, with a history of respiratory uh, sinuses, post nasal, and all that. And uh, okay, so if if I suspect that, or I should ask you, what if uh, Candida is behind all of that? And and uh, here here's the thing: I also have low salt hyponatremia. And I have to take some extra salt. So I read read about this article. Uh, candidiasis in 74-year-old lady with shortness of breath, refractory hyponatremia, amenable to antifungal therapy. She didn't just go for anti-candida uh, diet or herbs or whatever. She took an actual drug. And uh, it says here, uh, American Journal of Gastrology, uh, 2019, case of refractory, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and it says, by weeks therapy of, I don't know if I can pronounce this correctly, F-L-U-C-O-N-A-Z-O-L-E therapy. Now, mm-hmm. to go back to your your uh, statement last week. You said here, well, you want to get away from histamines in your candida diet. And I guess uh, is a histidine the same thing pretty much as a, a histamine? No. Histidine is amino acid. Histamine is a uh, neurotransmitter. Histi- okay, histamine so. is made from histidine um, in the body. But, um, yeah, you made some really good points there. Uh, the The key here is that functional medicine addresses uh, everything across the, 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 the board. So you need to do the, the foundational stuff, uh, in addition to medication often. Um, the well, let's, let's, use of tell the, me about this diet again, if you would, because it, 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 you said, well, you, you shouldn't, you shouldn't take this, you shouldn't take that. And, and, uh, then I, I looked it up and I think it, it says that all these foods have, a lot of uh, histamines in, in them. Even I think even okay. Meat, so you're you're like you're that. conflating two different you're conflating two different things. The antihistamine diet is an antihistamine diet or a low histamine diet. So you avoid histamine foods. But the anti candida diet is a completely different diet, and that is a low carbohydrate diet. 
because the concept is that carbohydrates, especially simple sugars, feed yeast like candida. Candida is a yeast. Candida populates your gut. Candida might make a a coating on your tongue. Candida can make you bloat after you eat a bowl of cereal. Candida can make you bloat after you drink some tea with some sugar in it. Sugar causes yeast growth and causes your gut to bloat, but it also causes some growth on your tongue and things like that. Many different symptoms can be associated with it. The well, you said, woman you said to drop grains, drop grains, and I certainly agree with that. And I've been trying to do it, and it seems to help me uh, yes. quite a bit. But gosh, you lose a lot. Of, uh, I'm, I'm pretty much vegetarian except for fish, and I use a lot. I lose a lot of uh, protein intake that way. So I'm doing like one meal uh, in the morning with some uh, lentil beans, which are high protein, uh, but. Uh, you probably say, well, that's too damn much carb. But still, uh, there some of those beans are a lot easier for me to digest than other ones. And sure yes. enough, those are the real high-protein ones. And one of the things about that is that beans alone don't have a, comp, uh, a complete protein, and so you need to have grains with them. And so somebody who has a problem with yeast overgrowth, if that's what they actually have, um, they might want to gravitate uh, – towards a more paleo kind of diet where they take more um, uh, lean meat, uh, lean birds, eggs, and fish uh, along with the vegetables and really make it a vegetable and lean protein diet rather than a um, vegetarian bean diet. Some of the beans, though, do have relatively low carbs and higher protein and are tolerated by people. But if it's a candida issue, uh, taking something like diflucan or fluconazole, the medication you described uh, for this woman, that's going to work to in initially get rid of the yeast. But if you don't change the underlying behaviors, you're going to grow the yeast back again. And so unless you actually do the low-carbohydrate diet in addition to uh, taking some medication, it's not likely you're going to be able to get away from it. Well, the trouble is I, I, I just uh, can't uh, handle meat. It's been that way pretty much all my life and it, it just uh, it, it doesn't agree with me period and it okay so uh, you might I want to but see then I you might want to protein wait you might want to look for other protein sources like uh protein powders like hemp protein or um uh, you could even do some purified grain protein that would have no carbs in it. So combinations of pea and rice and hemp and uh, even whey protein is a good choice if you want to add protein into your diet. But avoiding carbohydrates is part of the, the uh, anti-candida plan. I'm not sure you have a candidiasis issue, but you could speak with a functional medicine doctor and determine whether or not that's going on. Well, the, the other thing is, uh, uh, <clears throat> you, you, said, uh, you said last week, uh, uh, okay, don't, don't, don't eat the grains, don't do this and that, and then you mentioned soy. And I think I looked that up, and it was something like a thousand on on the uh, the uh, histamine rating. Soy is very high in the histamine triggers, um, and yeah. so it's something you probably don't want to and be I've eating never, a lot I've of. I've never been able to handle that stuff uh, after okay. about two days. You know, blah blah blah. So, and the other other interesting thing about this is, a few years ago, I went out and I got bitten by these little uh, tiny ants on a wrist. And I had absolutely no, no lung mucus symptoms for about three or four days. And well, that's I said, interesting. Good God, 
That's like the bee sting uh, type of therapy. And, uh, yeah, sometimes your, you know, your immune system gets balance. disrupted. Yeah. So no, somebody who has no. interstitial lung disease and chronic COPD uh, really should benefit from uh, eliminating a lot of carbs from the diet because you can't actually uh, metabolize the carbohydrates very well because of your lung disease. You want to actually probably eliminate the grains um, and dairy, I would suspect, since you have um, uh, these underlying problems. But um, so where, do you the, find this, where do you find this purified whey and all these other uh, – I've heard uh, pea products – you can check the 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 uh, uh, healthystepsstore.com. You can check on any health food store. But uh, Charles, um, your input's been interesting, and I think uh, uh, listen to some more of my shows, and you'll hear some more information about where to find some of this stuff. And you can check with um, Functional Medicine Florida to uh, I, I look got, for more information. One more information. on on the run. One more. You mentioned before NAET, you know, the allergy cessation te uh, technique. Is it my is it correct understanding to say if you were desensitized somebody like me to grains, it still would not be a good idea to eat them because they'd still be doing the bad stuff to me, even though I'm that's correct because there's so many other things about the grains beyond your being sensitive to them. All of the lectins and the 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 glyphosate that's in many of them and arsenic that's in non-organic rice. There are so many levels of it. Charles, well, have a great holiday season. It, this, this this is the greatest undertaking I've ever taken. Ever. Yeah, it often is, making a lifestyle change like this. Good luck with it. All right. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. Thank you very much, bye -bye. Charles. Um, I've got John and Aaron on the line, but I also think that sometimes I might give out the phone number a little too quickly. So let me remind you, you are listening to The Healthy Steps Show with Dr. Fred Harvey here on WMNF Tampa. And you are encouraged to give us a call at 813 Two three nine nine six six three. Good morning to you, John. Hey, hi, Doctor Harvey. How are you today? Great, John. How are you? All righty. Well, a uh, little nervous. I'm actually going in for a um, for a double knee replacement on in in January, and I'm very nervous about it. I was going to only do one at a time, but I work at a rehabilitation hospital. And I'm able to to go there after the surgery, but I didn't know if there's any preparation I should be doing to, to get this surgery or what well, well, my body's going to be traumatized. I'm a little nervous about the whole thing. Yeah, I think uh, there's some good evidence that using some homeopathy helps to uh, uh, move through damage like surgery causes. Um, there's uh, arnica um, as a as a homeopathic is uh, helpful to uh, uh, reduce the amount of bruising and trauma. There's another one called T. Uh, capital T hyphen relief. Uh, that's a homeopathic compound that actually has been shown in clinical study to improve post-op outcomes, uh, less swelling, less pain, uh, less bruising. And so I recommend my patients take uh, one or both of those. And um, the uh, other things you can do is proteolytic enzymes, starting uh, a protease like Wobenzyme or proteozyme uh, to help digest some of the uh, proteins of inflammation that occur uh, when you have surgery. Uh, you can start that a couple of days before and take it until healed, maybe a month after surgery. Um, orthosilicic acid is uh, uh, got a brand named Biosil or Regenimax, and that actually helps you promote more collagen growth. And collagen growth is really important for knitting the tissues back together. Uh, vitamin C, 
is also very important for collagen growth and good protein intake is also really important. Um, a good antioxidant combination can help with the um, uh, inflammation afterwards, something with some curcumin and boswellia and some green tea and some resveratrol. Uh, those combination can really help to clean up the system after you've had the injury from, from surgery. And I can tell you that I've had numerous uh, patients that tell me that their orthopedist has uh, remarked on how quickly they heal using these techniques to help it move along. And that orthosilic acid you said is that a is that an oral you take that oral? Yes, all these are oral. Uh, okay, and and uh, and you you would suggest starting them before the uh, before the surgery? Yes, and take them uh, uh, on through and finish uh, whatever bottle you purchase of it because it's going to you know be a month of healing after you're done. Yeah, I was just nervous. I was going to get one at a time, but I'm thinking that you know I was going to get one surgery at a time, but you know it's a three week in between I th and I'm I'm healthy and I'm uh I think I'm able to to handle the two but it's just very nerving to to think that I uh you know that I'm going to do this double surgery so it's kind of Yeah it's uh surprising to hear you say it cuz it used to be the the rule that nobody would do double surgeries because of the risk of having an infection if you get an infection in an implant it's really a problem and if you get infection in one during surgery it's likely both will get infected so though the risk of getting an infected implant during surgery is very low. It's there, and orthopedists used to not do double surgeries like this. Yeah, one of the orthopedists uh, wouldn't do it, and then two of the other ones said that they would do it. Then we finally found one that we're comfortable with, so so mm. we're kind of going to go with that. Um, but it's uh, it's still very nerve wracking. We, we we thought about maybe trying to put it off by putting injections in the um, you know in the in the tissue to to, um, but it's bone on bone at this point, so it's not really. Uh, any injections or anything like that don't seem like that. Well, you, you can you can buy some time with some of the hyaluronic acid injections. Um, they do tend to put off surgery for a while, but if you're bone on bone, it often results in that. But another thing you might want to consider before getting surgery, the reason you got the bone on bone problem is because you have improper muscle use in your legs and low back, and you might want to consider muscle activation technique to actually figure out what the imbalance is that caused your knees to do this in the first place and fix that before you go to surgery so that when you come out, you have actually a more functional muscle system to support the new joints. So, so by doing an, uh, a specific exercise program or, uh, in, that, in that sort? You would, be, you would be evaluated actually by somebody who does muscle activation technique, a very specific um, uh, evaluation methodology that finds where you're actually not functioning well. It's much more detailed evaluation than most physical therapists do. And there are some physical therapists that use it, but look up muscle activation technique online and you'll find practitioners local to you that can do this evaluation and show you possibly a different way before you go into surgery. It's not physical therapy. It's a different technique. Mm -hmm. All right. Okay. Well, thanks, doctor. I appreciate you. Um, you're, you're welcome. And uh, Good luck with that. Uh, yeah. Bye. Bye-bye. All right. I've got Aaron in Lake Wells and Juanita in St. Pete. And another time to announce, you were encouraged to give us a call. Get in on this show. It's an Ask Me Anything Monday. Just jingle 813-239-9663. Good morning, Aaron. Good morning. Um, I recently moved back to Florida to take care of my parents. And I just love your show. Um, I love the station. Um, but another 
I want to go back to the conversation you started at the beginning about um, the cost of health care for people um, who are aging. And yes, another cost that um, is quite large is the people that the, the adult children that have to move back and take care of their parents who um, just want to live and live and live and live and um, go on and on and on. And people like me who have to give up our our livelihoods and our homes and our our families uh, to come down here and do this. And uh, I just asked my dad, who's got moderate dementia, I asked him last night, you know, do you want to go see the cardiologist? And he can't cook for himself. He can't shop. He can't remember to change his underwear or brush his teeth. But he said, well, yeah, I want to, I want to live as long as I can. And I'm like, wow, you know, when does this, at what point does this end? I don't really want to, it sounds horrible, but I don't really want to prolong his life because it's just going to, get worse and um, cost, yes. cost everybody more. It's it's a very difficult situation we have. Um, you know, since we, and there's really not solid research anywhere about this, but about, you know, 40% of the world, I think, lives in extended family situation. Mm-hmm. And I personally believe that the destructive force of the nuclear family, the, uh, uh, you know, the, the way capitalism has uh, uh, disseminated our family structures across, across countries and across the world, um, it leaves master citizens after years of caring for a family with no one to turn to. Yeah. Unless they pull people back from other places or they themselves move to where the children have gone in the diaspora. And yeah. I think that the extended family is the human family. I think right. that when we lived in pods like that, we actually transferred the wisdom of the elder generations to the youth. And the elder generations actually cared for the youth when the middle generations were working real hard to support the entire structure. And yeah, we're missing this. <laughs> we are. I mean, I left four adult sons 2,000 miles away, and that is a, you know, that's a heartbreak for me. Yes. We have a crisis of loneliness, and yes. it's only going to get worse unless we address this specific issue. The nuclear family is the death of culture, from my perspective. And it's costing us way too much to warehouse people, and it shouldn't be done anyway because warehousing master citizens is one of the most um, uh, restrictive, obnoxious, demeaning, and horrible things we can do to our society and our culture as a whole. Yeah, and it all goes back to the dollar, the mighty dollar. You know, my parents have these insurance plans that will let them go to the doctor every single day of their lives. and. I mean, if and, they don't need a double knee replacement, a doctor would surely do it. I could find two that would do a double knee replacement. Well, that that takes us to the whole like the hoax of the stent. You know, <laughs> there's numerous uh, published clinical studies that show that the stent does not fix the disease. The stent does not affect mortality. You can get as many stents as you want. You're still going to die of the same problem because the thing's going to keep rolling on right. because you're not treating the problem. You're treating the symptom. In fact, mm-hmm. the American College of Cardiology says that stenting should be done secondarily to medical therapy since medical therapy is less invasive, less costly, and equally, equally effective at controlling the symptoms. And the mm-hmm. medications don't even treat the disease. Yeah. yeah. Well, I would love so th- to talk to you forever. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I do. We can talk again, but let's ask the next person to come on the line. Good luck with your your challenge there. It's a big one. Thank you. 
a lot of people have this challenge right now. Thank We're going to talk about it more next year, too. Definitely. Good. It's a big, Good. big issue because I love that Dr. Ruth has become or wants to become the loneliest ambassador for the city of New York. How about that? Well, you're brave to bring up the concept, the topic today. Thank you for it. Bye bye. You're so welcome. Well, Aaron, don't be shy. We're always here. You can just give us a call every Monday from nine till eleven. I mean, ten till eleven, at eight one three two three nine nine six six three. And let's go to Juanita in Saint Petersburg. Good morning, Juanita. Yes. Good morning. I'm just going to ask the question, and then get on the phone, so I'll be, so you can answer it. My question is about this new concept of hydrogen water. They make it sound like it's a miracle. I drink alkaline water. It helps with my arthritis. But how does hydrogen water, and is it what they say it is? Thank you, and I'll get off the phone. Great question, Juanita. I love I love simple questions like this that become so complex as well. <laughs> so I could talk for a while about hydrogen, but let's uh, start with alkaline water. You know, there's a big hype about alkaline water. You know, you can buy your Trinity Springs bottle of uh, 16 ounces for $27 and it's pH 9.2. And <laughs> frankly, who cares? <laughs> you get the same minerals in Florida water. It's just not alkaline. You know how you make the uh, uh, nicely filtered, you know, free of petrochemical stuff, uh, Florida water? You know how you make it actually alkaline? You put a pinch of baking soda in it. That's how I start my day every day. I get some nice filtered water and I heat it up in my hot pot and I put a pinch of baking soda in it, put a little extra water in it to cool it down so I can chug it. And I chug a pint of alkaline water to start my day. Hydrogen water is a really interesting thing. So I know you've heard me talk about free radicals before. Free radicals are what kill us. Free radicals damage our tissues, ruin the organs, ruin the organelles inside the organs. And so everything stops running efficiently. <clears throat> Free radicals cause brain damage, heart damage, vascular damage. They are what ages us. And they're caused by toxins. But what's interesting is you've probably also heard me talk about um, antioxidants and methylation and free radical quenching. Well, methylation, methyl is a, 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 an organic chemical. It's got a carbon surrounded by three or four hydrogens, depending on whether it's attached to another molecule or not. Well, all those hydrogens are very important in the methylation process because hydrogen is a proton donor. And hydrogen actually will take the hit from the free radical. Hydrogen neutralizes free radical. What happens when you add hydrogen to um, peroxide? You get water and oxygen. It boils off. And so you don't have the free radicals anymore. Hydrogen is the first antioxidant. So hydrogen water can actually be beneficial. But um, if you're buying alkaline water and you're buying hydrogen water, it may be a good idea to consider buying a hydrogen generating machine because you can generate hydrogen to breathe it it's a great uh, uh, the the previous caller charles has interstitial lung disease charles you might benefit from inhaled hydrogen because it adds an antioxidant directly into your lungs and may i don't have any direct evidence may help you with overall symptoms there can't breathe it all the time but you're also breathing oxygen with it and it really does help and then when you um put the hydrogen in the water, you drink it, you get, you ingest more, more free radical quenching. And so 
I don't see a downside to it except for the expense. Find a way to make it cheaper and you've got a pretty good antioxidant to use on an ongoing basis. So we have some emails today and uh, this one comes from um, St. Petersburg and this emailer asks, as a regular medical marijuana, actually, as a regular medical cannabis smoker, marijuana is an epithet. Uh, it's designed to um, uh, make us think differently about that ethnicity of those who smoke. Um, so medical cannabis, what can I do to help my lungs out a little? Um, I've tried medicating different ways, but cool water rips work best for me. It sounds like you're using a bong and putting it through some cool water. Um, and, uh, I'm happy that you're now free of, uh, those stinkerettes, um, because they're poison. Cigarettes are not good for anybody, but the problem with smoking cannabis is that you do still get particulates and particulates are known to cause damage and cause changes in your physiology. So what you might want to do is switch over to vape. Dry flower vape delivers the THC uh, and terpenes in a vapor rather than a particulate, and you may actually have some improvement there. There is yet to be any distinct uh, research done on it. However, less particulate to me commonsensically means less damage overall. Um, uh, it's uh, a totally different way of delivering, and it's not going to be as satisfying as smoking a bong hit, but it will actually reduce the uh, risk to your lungs, I believe. Um, Steve asks, uh, last week, uh, Dr. Harvey mentioned the Boston Heart Cholesterol Balance Test. Where in Tampa Bay is this test available? I would think that you could probably access it at any lab tests now. There's an any lab test now in most cities, and you just pay them to draw blood, and they'll basically do uh, um, draw your blood for a bunch of different uh, lab companies, and you just pay cash for it. Your insurance will not be involved. However, if you want insurance involved, you can find a functional medicine doctor or ask your primary doctor to order something that's not in the usual network. And uh, these results are, um, you know, from a normal lab and, and they're uh, covered by Medicare and most insurances because it's a real lab. And, um, and if you have a real insurance, it should cover something from a real lab. Uh, here's one from Victoria. My allergies took me off. Armen Air Inhaler and put me on Trilogy Ellipta. Um, she read the insert and doesn't like the adverse consequences. Um, frankly, um, there are numerous um, um, inhalers that contain bronchodilators and steroids. And uh, my thought is, can you reduce your allergy reactivity so that you don't need to take these things? Yes, you can. And I would start with an anti-inflammatory diet, eliminating grains, beans, dairy, and processed foods, and really work on that. The WALS diet, W-A-H-L-S. You can look that up and look at the food pyramid. It's pretty easy to follow. That's a great way to start to help to decrease allergies. But another thing that really helps me, because I have seasonal allergies, um, I use a combination called natural dehist. Um, another one called Allergy or Aller DHQ. Both are very similar products. They have um, uh, stinging nettle leaf extract, which is a great uh, natural 
sort of antihistamine, and it's also got bromelain as a um, uh, anti-inflammatory and one that helps to uh, um, uh, eliminate some of the um, inflammatory waste. Um, it's got N-acetylcysteine. Uh, NAC, as it's otherwise known, is a great way to loosen up the mucus and move it along. And um, it's also got quercetin, quercetin, Q-U-E-R-C-E-T-I-N, a great uh, antioxidant that stabilizes mast cells, the allergy cells that put out histamine. And so you can reduce your allergies that way. And so in the meantime, um, consider um, those diets and uh, supplements. And uh, if that's not effective, talk to a functional medicine doctor and get some help to get off those inhalers. Randy asks, please describe atrial fibrillation symptoms, effects on the body, long-term ramifications. Well, that's a whole show. But AFib, atrial fibrillation, is an irregularly irregular heart rhythm. And what happens is the sinus node, which is the pacemaker for the heart, the natural pacemaker that usually beats between 60 and, say, 80 beats per minute, um, has some damage. And it starts to be chaotic. In fact, you might even lose that pacemaker and the pacemaker starts to sort of uh, uh, turn into a bunch of pacemakers and the rhythm of the atrium, the top part of the heart, becomes very fast and chaotic, even as high as 300 per minute. Um, fortunately, you have a um, junction between the top and bottom part of the heart that doesn't allow the bottom part of the heart to ever get to that rate, but it can get up to 150 and then you'll be having some significant symptoms, palpitations, shortness of breath, chest pain. Um, and the effects on the body uh, of a fib are, are all autonomic, parasympathetic, sympathetic. This is your uh, uh, autonomic nervous system. And, and the atrial actually can occur because of disruptions in that. Sleep apnea can cause this. Alcohol use can cause nerve toxicity and disrupt the autonomic nervous system to create atrial But alcohol, uh, and especially um, um, alcohol addiction or al uh, alcohol use disorder and sleep apnea, they're the principal causes for atrial fibrillation. And the long-term revocations is that you have a significant increase in stroke when you have atrial fibrillation. So we need to actually pay attention to AFib and consider the use of blood thinners if you have it because you are at really high risk and the <clears throat> current state of blood thinning with the newer agents reduces your risk by about 95%. Whereas one of the safest medicines in the world that many people are concerned about uh, Coumadin actually only reduces your risk by about 50 to 60%. <clears throat> so the newer agents actually are a little better at preserving your life. Um, someone asks, uh, nightshade vegetables and arthritis. Um, does cooking change that? And no, not really. <clears throat> the basic um, uh, chemical that uh, structure of the nightshade vegetables is still there. And some people are bothered by it. Some aren't. It's not a a, uh, um, a a shorty that you're going to have uh, joint pain with it, but people that have arthritis might want to avoid the nightshade vegetables. That's um, eggplant, tomatoes, green bell peppers, things like that <clears throat> are a good idea to keep out of your diet. Um, here's a comment. Um, oh, actually, yes. Uh, why don't we talk about uh, the radio station? This is the Healthy Step Show, and we are on WMNF 
Absolutely, and I like to continue bragging that this is the Healthy Step Show with Dr. Fred Harvey. Give us a call at 813-239-9663 and continue to send your emails to dj at wmnf.org. That number is 813-239-9663. Back to you there, Dr. Harvey. Very good. You know, uh, here's a great comment um, on life and death. Alan Watts, a great philosopher, said that we should celebrate death in the same way that we celebrate birth. I completely agree. Um, I think the Irish have it down. Those wakes can be a pretty raucous time. Um, you know, celebrating the life of somebody who lived it well, I think it's a great thing to do and send them off really well because where they've gone is a respite. I believe they'll be coming back at some point in the very near future to do this all again, because I believe that we spend time incarnated here to develop the relationships that we need to, to understand how we get back to our home source oneness. And it takes an infinite amount of lives to do that. And so let's celebrate each one and let's start talking about our death. The moment we're alive so that we're all prepared for it. Cause there's only one way out. Let's celebrate it as a transition to a better way. Um, here's one from Monica. I know you discussed statins previously. My PCP ordered a calcium test last year, which I completed. The number was not zero, and he prescribed Crestor 10 milligrams. He's also basing his decision on family history. I have not started the medication. I'm hesitant to do so. Can you please discuss? Um, I do not have, she gave me some numbers here. I don't have a total cholesterol level, which would be helpful, but I have an HDL of 120 and an LDL of 85. Um, well, an LDL of 85 is actually a goal number if you start a statin. An HDL of 120 means that there's probably toxicity because HDL cholesterol removes toxins from the body. And so there is an issue in this situation of toxicity. And toxicity is actually what causes um, coronary artery disease and calcium scores to go up. So toxicity needs to be evaluated, and your PCP is not going to be able to do that. I would suggest you find a functional medicine, Dr. Monica, because you need to have somebody who's willing to look at toxic metals and petrochem toxins and other kinds of uh, issues that could contribute to an excessively high HDL cholesterol. And here's another one. Um, it's a really uh, a bit of a um, um, uh, obnoxious one, and I'll address this. Um, yeah, let those old people and rich heart people die. Hmm, interesting. By the way, you go first, bud. Um, we should take it a step further and eat them, like in great Charlton Heston film, Soylent Green. Um, it's pretty obnoxious, and I want to address this because this person doesn't understand a bit of what I was talking about. I'm talking about the fact that um, it costs money to prop up dying people. It costs a lot of money. And there's a point when the public money, considering that we know the likelihood of someone actually living beyond the ICU, um, this is a real issue, and and I, we 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 really know that people aren't going to 
get out of there. And trying to save everyone is not a better plan. Trying to save everyone is wasteful because some people are just not going to make it. And we need to be rational about what we spend our money on. You know, everybody does their own personal budget and we have to actually cost cut in our personal budgets. We don't have an infinite healthcare budget. We need to be actually really considerate of what actually we're going to be spending the money on. And is it worth to prop somebody up who's actually got no ability to function physically, physiologically, mentally, spiritually, if they're a vegetable on a ventilator? Is this actually something that we need to continue to spend public tax dollars on? Maybe if the person wants to have, the family wants them to stay alive, we should just get the credit card and let them do it. That sounds a little harsh, but think about where we are spending our resources. We need to really consider this because we're talking about it and everything else. We're talking about it politically about, are we going to spend money on wars versus food? There's a great show called uh, Guns and Butter, comparing food costs or, uh, you know, poverty versus war and how much poverty war causes. We've got to be real about our actual thinking about money. And on that note, we're coming down to that last minute, and I'd love to talk to more people, but we are at our final seconds here. And I want to thank Bill again. Great production job. And Irene, thank you for answering the phones and uh, forwarding all these people into the conversation. Sorry I didn't get to anybody else on the phone or into any more of these emails, but I'm here next week, and we'll talk again. All right. Thank you, Dr. Harvey. And thank you, Irene. And thanks to all of our listeners for participating. This has been a particularly great show. And until next week, stay healthy. You've been listening to the Healthy Steps Radio Show with Dr. Fred Harvey here on WMNF Tampa. Coming on up is five minutes of NPR news and then get ready for the Sustainable Living Show hosted by the Cracker Jack team of Kenny Coogan and Annie Ellis. So until next Monday at 10 a.m., thank you for supporting and listening to the Healthy Steps Radio Show with Dr. Fred Harvey here on WMNF Tampa, your community conscious radio station. Stay safe, stay thoughtful, and know that you are loved.